What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode number three of the Fig Cave. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening. We appreciate all the support. And we have a great show for you today. Um, man, I can't believe we're three episodes in already. This has been uh, this has been pretty fun. We got some awesome guests lined up going forward, including one really good one today. Uh, you, you can find us at thefigcave.com, thefigcave.com. For more information, that's our Facebook group. Uh, it's free to join. We have about 230 folks in there right now buying, selling, and trading wrestling figures and uh, posting pictures of their collection and all kinds of stuff. So it's a, it's a cool place, and I definitely recommend it. We've got a great community of people there. And uh, I did want to announce at the beginning of the show here our giveaway. We um, promised, uh, promised in episode one. They were going to do a, a giveaway for our Survivor Series Akane Elite. Um, uh, we I completely blanked on it last week, so I'm going to give it away right now to one of our uh, listeners who uh, promoted the, the episode. Uh, Matt Sweeney from our Facebook group. Matt Sweeney, you are the winner of this Kane Survivor Series Elite. Uh, just uh, shoot me a message on Facebook, and I will get this out to you as soon as I know your address. Um, the guys over at the Running Podcast are doing a really cool giveaway um, on their page. We'll get to that after the episode, after the interview, and go through some housekeeping uh, stuff. But uh, let's get to uh, Scott Nilich from Spectre Creative. He is a former Mattel and Jax employee, and he's going to help us get to the bottom of some of these distribution problems we're dealing with with wrestling figures right now. It's out of control. Let's, let's fix this. All right, we have Scott Nightlick on the phone here. Scott, how are you doing on this beautiful Sunday morning, sir? Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much for inviting me. I, uh, it's great to, to chat toys on a Sunday morning. Oh, of course, man. I don't know if you have kids, but you might be my first uh, interview that anyone's ever asked. In 10 years of podcasting, someone has to do a, a Sunday morning at 8 a.m., which I'm, you know, I have a five-year-old, so I'm, I'm all about it. Get, it. get it on, get it done, and, you know, do the rest of our day. So thank you. Usually I have a bunch of night owls that I'm interviewing, so this is a, this is a nice change of pace. Oh, well, yeah, you you nailed the kid thing exactly. It's like she's up, she's eating her waffles, so I yeah. have like an hour to kill while she watches some TV. Yeah, and, yeah. So for accommodating me. Oh no problem. My kid's upstairs watching Ninja Turtles on Hulu, so we can uh, get this all all set, man. Uh, I stumbled upon your uh, your YouTube channel. It's Spectre Creative. Uh, if anyone wants to find it on YouTube or SpectreCreative.com, uh, we'll put a link in our on our website and on the bio for the episode. But, Scott, uh, I think it was the Major Wrestling Figure Podcast that mentioned uh, an episode of your YouTube, and I went on to it, and you got some really interesting stuff. Before we get into your background with where you've worked and stuff like that, let us know about the YouTube page, what kind of stuff you put on there, and what what, uh, kind of spurned you to create that. Sure, sure. So uh, I've been in the uh, the toy industry for about 25 years now, give or take a year or a couple months, and what kind of sets me apart is I'm also an active collector. Um, just like, you know, I could see behind you all the, uh, you know, mint in box uh, wrestling figures you have there. Um, yeah, I I, I, I I was a collector before I became a toy maker. And it gave me kind of a very unique perspective being a, a brand manager at, I've worked at Mattel, at Jax, I worked for Jada for a little bit. Um, and what spurred me to really do the channel was all the fun of 2020 uh, with the COVID lockdown. Oh, I'm man. actually just about to hit one year with my channel. I think I started it the second week of February. Oh wow! Which Perfect. basically, yeah, when the lockdown, I was I was bored. Let's just say. <laughs> um, so I was like, well, you know, I need to do you know 
uh, you know, client load is easing up a little bit while, you know, people are locked down for a month or two, which turned out to be a year. <laughs> and so, yeah, so I just, so I started, well, I'll, you know, I kind of have some interesting perspectives on the toy industry and most of the, I mean, I'm a huge YouTube viewer as well. And most of the toy YouTube videos tend to be, uh, reviews or history of a brand, like, you know, yep. the history of G.I. Joe or the history of, uh, you know, Stretch Armstrong or something, not to pick on Hasbro. So, uh, yes, yeah, so I just kind of started making videos about, you know, sort of explaining away things that I always found fans asking about online. You know, like, why are there empty pegs? Why is distribution so screwed up? Why do they have, you know, why does this figure come with this accessory when it really should come with this one? And I was like, well, I know the reason why, and they're pretty simple reasons. So I'll start making some videos and it, it caught on and the channel's done really great. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I do pretty much a video a day. Yeah. I've got them queued, uh, which is why, like, I sit down and do, like, you know, five videos at once. Oh, that's smart. Nice. Um, yeah, I, think, I mean, they're queued, like, about three weeks ahead oh, cool. at this point. Um, so, yeah, that was that's basically the why and the what. And, you know, I, I also respond to all the comments, everyone. Um, I like to be interactive. That was the other big thing about when I was, you know, at Mattel is I always felt, I wanted to treat the customers, the collectors, the way I wish toy companies would treat me, would, you know, talk to me and would, you know, interact and answer my questions. So I treat the YouTube channel the same way. And if people have suggestions for topics, I'll take the topic and put their suggestion right on screen and say, hey, you know, uh, you know, wrestler fan 421 asked me to <laughs> do a video about this. Well, all right, let's do it. So it's very interactive. Nice, yeah, and and I don't some I don't collect ninety percent of the stuff you make videos on, like the Masters of the Universe and some of this other stuff. But it's really interesting to go kind of the deep dives that you go uh, about these different brands and, and and their history and all kinds of stuff that you know I would never think of. And it's a great, great. I mean, most of them are ten twenty minutes. They're, they're a quick view when I'm uh, you know sitting at my computer uh, recording or doing something like that. So I, I definitely recommend people to check it out. Spectre Creative, and we will get into all the distribution stuff. That's the main crux of why I wanted to have you on because you had a really good video on there about. You know, distribution problems, why empty pegs happen and all that kind of stuff. But let's get into you. You, you mentioned you collect now. Go, go through, like, what you remember collecting as a kid and uh, maybe what carried over and what you still collect now as a, as a grown man. Oh, sure. I mean, half the stuff's behind me right now. Yeah. Um, uh, and also, sorry, just last point from your previous questions. Yeah, most of my videos, yeah, the, while the summer brand-specific, like reviewing toys I worked on for mm – -hmm. I worked on the He-Man brand of Mattel – most of them, yeah, are just general toy industry. It could apply to any brand. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, if you're a wrestler fan, even if I'm not doing tons of videos on wrestler toys, the videos still apply. Yep. Um, <clears throat> so, let's see. As a kid, uh, Masters of the Universe, Star Wars, Transformers were kind of the top uh, licensed brands. Um, and then, but my number one toy was a building system called Constructs. Okay, yeah. Uh, it, I think, can you see behind me, there's a spaceship. Yeah, yeah, I see that. Yep. Yeah, so that I actually built that as a kid. I still had it. Oh, nice. Uh, so, yeah, it was basically a girder and bolt building system, and I used to actually build ships and incorporate both Transformers and Star Wars into them. Like, I would build ships for my Luke Skywalker figure or whatever. Um, and then, uh, basically, as I, you know, hit junior high and high school, that was, you know, about the time when, uh, Hasbro Kenner relaunched Star Wars with Power of the Force 2 
And, you know, like a lot of people, it was like, well, I'll just buy one Chewbacca or I'll just get Darth <laughs> yeah. Vader. Now I have every single modern Hasbro Star Wars figure that they've made since 1995 through, you know, yesterday. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, yeah it's a slippery slope with those, man. Those, the, the guys, yeah, like, the major brothers collect those as well. And it's, yeah, it seems like they have, you know, every iteration, every movie has its own line. And then they have the dark series and, you know, flashback vintage stuff. It's, you know, they're all awesome looking. It's, you know, I can see how you, you just kind of go down the rabbit hole with those things. It's, yeah, it's like, you know, once you start down the dark path, forever <laughs> will it dominate your destiny. So, yeah, there's my Mandalorian I just got a few weeks ago. Nice. So and I like this is I like this is my preferred scale of Star Wars. Um, I also do a lot of six inch. Um, I like six inch because so many different brands do six inch. Mm -hmm. um, so actually, let's see if I can spin this around and see if this works. You oh kind wow! Of, I've got like my six inch good guys and bits. So it's like you could put so many different characters together. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, you know, and I, I really like. I like how toys are, I, I, I consider them a medium as themselves, not just consumer product. So you'll never really see a Spider-Man, Batman movie, but you could put Spider-Man and Batman and Hulk Hogan on your shelf together. Yeah, um, that is cool. You know, Seth Rogen is never going to team up with Michelangelo, but <laughs> on yourself, they could. Yeah. So that's what I, that's what I really like doing. Um, I love Marvel Legends. Um, it's great. I, I, I'm much more of a, pick and choose with those i get x-men and spider-man characters um but yeah the toys are they're, they're some great figures coming out I, what hasbro's doing with the um pegless joints is amazing what um, um the one behind you there that that constructs they still make those because i'm my son's a big time like lego fan but he he i mean he loves the people but he when he builds like a big lego set and you know it has the tendency to break apart I, i've been trying to like now he's into the star wars legos hardcore i've been trying to find like little like background diorama type sets that he could play with um you know like the, you know those bags that come with a bunch of dinosaurs and they have like little mountains and trees and stuff and he loves those yes. because they don't break they can kind of be like you know background for like when he's on hoth or something so um it is cool to mix and match, and you know it's cool to see a five-year-old do that. You know, as early as you know, a toddler, and see him playing with different things all at once. So, um, does it does it worry you at all that the popular lines now? When I when I go down the toy line, and my son for Christmas this year, he got you know the three and three-inch GI Joes, he got Ninja Turtles, he got you know Star Wars Legos. Like these are all things that were popular when we were kids. You know, the eighties and nineties. What what will kids when they're our age? When my son's doing a podcast in twenty. 25 years what are they going to talk about i mean are, are we just going to rehash the same things i mean as adults we love it because it's just you know a nostalgia feel for us but is it like the Fortnites and the minecrafts of the world are those going to be the things that in you know 30 25 30 years those are what kids are going to be nostalgic for well i think that there's something very i mean in factually something very different about the brands that came out between 1980 and 1990. And the reason that they hold such a strong nostalgia place and keep sort of you know being made over and over and over again, if you will. Um, versus, you know, even if you look at brands from the 50s, 60s, and 70s, you don't see that. You really don't see like nostalgia for Big Jim or, you know, like the original 12-inch G.I. Joes, they have their fan base but it's not big enough to support a line. Hasbro's tried it several times and it always mm -hmm. tanks. Uh, 
or lack of customers or uh, major Matt Mason, all these, you know, yeah, you're like, what? Like, you know, so it's really the question is, why is it that brands in the 80s have such strong nostalgia appeal? And there's a, there is a reason for that. And it's basically, uh, and there's actually a video on my channel, people can see about this. Um, there, uh, in 1980, Ronald Reagan deregulated the FCC and essentially wanted to look at it as more of a free market where the economy would decide what they would buy. Previous to that, there was heavy restriction, especially because it was using broadcast channels. So, for example, in the 60s, Romper Room, which was a kids program, uh, also had their own toy line, like Jack in the Boxes and things like that, and they would bring them out on the show. And the FCC started cracking down on that because they felt that it was not right to advertise to kids directly on a show. It's also why you saw those old bumpers where they would be like, you know, we'll be right back, mm -hmm. or back to the show, yep. because they felt that kids couldn't differentiate between the commercial and the show. So they had to make sure they knew, okay, we're now entering advertising world. Um, you know, what you're seeing are ads. This is not the adventures of, you know, Hero Man. So uh, when the FCC was deregulated in 1980 under the Reagan administration, that's what allowed for things like your He-Man, your Transformers, your G.I. Joe, even the uh, Hulk Hogan's all. Oh, oh gosh, I'm, I'm embarrassing myself. The 80s cartoon. Uh, uh, Randy Piper was the bad guy. Yeah, rock and, uh, rock and roll collection. Or, rock and yeah, rock and wrestling, yeah. yeah. Yep. So all the things like that um, were a direct result of this deregulation, which then got re-regulated in 1990 by Congress. So you had kind of this 10-year window where toys and uh, cartoons were completely interchangeable. And because of that freedom, I mean, there's something really strong emotionally about seeing your toy mm -hmm. walking around in a cartoon, like literally your toy. Um, you know, especially when it came down to like things like Transformers. So those the shows and the properties that came out during that time period were able to do something that was never able to be done before or after. And that's why, like, yeah, you do see some nostalgia stuff for like some 90s lines like Power Rangers. I was going to say, because Power Rangers just feels like a that my son would watch those for like you know a two week span. And those just feel like a, a commercial for a toy. I mean, that's all they are. I, I hated them as a kid, um, just because it felt like every episode was the same. But I mean, that 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 cartoon just seems like it's just made for toys, right? Well, consider also that 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 particular well, that was a live action show, mm -hmm. oh, um, and it was originally broadcast in Japan. It was not an American show. What they did is they reshot the non-action scenes, like the scenes of just the teenagers hanging out or getting ready mm -hmm. with American actors and spliced it into the Japanese fighting. So that's an interesting exception because, again, Japan didn't have the same rules. So they were, yeah, they were essentially rebroadcasting a foreign show. But outside of, like, to me, Power Rangers is kind of like, the end of the 80s bell curve. Mm -hmm. If you want to think of like, you know, He-Man as the beginning, um, yeah. you know, or actually it was Pac-Man was the very first one. And then um, everything between those two really fall into that show as t toy commercial. After that, you know, if you look at other toy lines from the 90s, uh, you know, like Jurassic Park had a pretty strong toy line. But after that, you really start to actually even talk about things like Power of the Force 2. Um, you know, Ben 10 is one that did come out, but you don't really see 
you know, Ben 10, you, uh, you know, nostalgia toys. You just see more toys, you know, for kids. It never mm-hmm. really caught on with adults. Yeah. And to go back to your original question of what are they going to be talking about in 25 years, I honestly think that these brands that came out in this window, this 10-year window, in my opinion, are going to be the ones that just keep repeating because they're special because of that deregulation. And the ones before, your major Matt Masons and your ones after, your Jurassic Parks, I mean, you sure Jurassic Park will continue because there's, you know, movies, mm-hmm. but it's it's different. People are, they're not like recreating, you know, the Nedry figure from 1993. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, with the bazooka gun that he came with yeah. that did not look anything like Newman. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so, you know, what are kids going to be collecting in 25 years? It's also going to be very interesting because do you know i know it's great that your son has imaginative play on hop that's wonderful that's the way kids should play but a lot of kids i mean the number one toy right now is is fidgets yeah um you know and i hate to say it but screens or an, which I I say, or an ipad yeah yeah like parent your child is mm-hmm. kind of my saying like you know kids should not be treating screens like toys so uh yeah i mean it's we're definitely in a very different time as far as children and play where traditional toys that have been around for hundreds, if not thousands of years, you know, Romans and Egyptians were playing with, you know, figurines and wheeled vehicles. Um, things are changing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, adult collecting really wasn't a big thing until the 90s either. And, you know, yeah, there were adults who collected toys in the 80s, but it was more like collecting Pez dispensers or collecting like, you know, old, you know, uh, you know, uh, Little Orphan Annie decoder rings, that kind of thing. It wasn't really like you know, the way we collect now, like yeah. what you have behind you. <laughs> uh, so I know we could probably talk about this question for three or four hours. And it would be super interesting, but I know I don't want to take up that much of your time this morning. Uh, you work for Mattel, then you work for Jax. I mean, two, still two of the, you know, the biggest wrestling, you know, wrestling figure or just, you know, action figure toy lines uh, out there. Uh, tell us what toy lines you covered during your time there. How was your experience different between the two companies? And, you know, what did you kind of, uh, learn their takeaway from those two. Sure, and also I'm more than happy to come back and do this again. Oh yeah, I, uh, I feel like we will. Yeah, because we get, you get a lot yeah. of stuff to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. I don't feel like we're limited to like this one hour, this one Sunday. <laughs> um, so let's see. So at Mattel, I started off actually as a copywriter. Um, I was a writer in marketing beforehand. I was actually in pharmaceutical uh, marketing. And the reason I was able to get into Mattel was they saw my portfolio from pharmaceutical where you have to write ads and marketing, but you also have to navigate all those safety warnings about drugs. Well, I never really put two and two together, but that's very similar to the toy industry where you have to deal with like small parts warnings Mm -hmm. and, you know, all all that kind of stuff. So they saw that skill set I had is very transferable. So I came in and I worked on Hot Wheels for a year and a half, two years as a copywriter. I was one who named all the basic Hot Wheels and the sets that, you know, wrote the copy on the back, like race through the track and knock over the, you know, dragon. And then I pitched to management the idea of doing an adult collector line and selling it online, uh, which became a business called MaddieCollector.com. Okay, I've heard of that. Yeah, so it ran for about 10 years. And uh, the simple version, it was basically like a figure of the month club where you would sign up for a brand, Ghostbusters, He-Man. We actually tried WWE several times. 
Um, but online fans tended to want to go to ringside for their WWE. They, they didn't want to find another website. Um, but yeah, you'd sign up for a brand and you'd buy a subscription for the year. You'd get a bonus 13th figure as the cost of signing up. And then every month you'd get a figure. Um, and it was a great way to complete lines for collectors to do like the obscure characters. And yeah, we did, re- we did play sets. We did prop replicas. We did all sorts of stuff. That was kind of, you know, I hate saying it this way, but it was sort of like a side project. My actual job after Hot Wheels, when they moved me to the marketing group, was I worked on the DC Warner Brothers toy lines, both the comic-based and the movies, like Dark Knight, Superman Returns, Green Lantern, that oh, kind of cool. thing. Um, so I was basically brand managing those retail lines and then also running Maddie Collector for the adults like me. And I didn't kind of realize till I went to Jack's that I was doing two jobs. Um, <laughs> I got to Jack's um, as director of the boys group. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm like doing so much less. <laughs> like, I think I was overworking myself at Mattel. But it's because I was a collector and I was really enthusiastic about it. Of course, it. yeah. I was kind of getting paid in toys. And that was also why oh, I, that's I left bad Mattel. Yes, um, I had a yeah. Before before we get over to Jax, I've heard a lot of people complain about not having Maddie Collector, you know, basically because of the distribution problems. I mean, Ringside is, you know, a saving grace for wrestling figure fans just because they have everything, you know, months before the stores and some stuff doesn't even ever show up in the stores. But why, why did Maddie Collector fail? Was it just the fact that just not enough people signed up? It just wasn't as popular as it should have been? Oh, it, it didn't fail. Um, it was never a job at, on the books. So... When I created Maddie Collector, like I said, I was kind of doing that in addition to my actual job. Like if you looked up Scott Knightlick in the Mattel computer system in HR, mm-hmm. it would say I was the brand manager for the DC Universe Warner Brothers line. It wouldn't say anything about Maddie Collector. Right. It was never actually in the Mattel system. So <clears throat> excuse me. So when like let's say the brand manager for Hot Wheels, I mean they have many, but let's just say they have one. Sorry, one sec. I should yeah. be eating. One. Okay. Take a drink, yeah. All right, enough eating. Um, so so let's say, yeah, so let's say the Hot Wheels basic car brand manager leaves Mattel. Well, it's going to automatically send up a flag to HR that they need to replace this person, and they will immediately replace them. With Maddie Collector, because it was never an official job, it was just something I was doing on the side. Oh, my gosh. So when, when, you, I le- le- when you left, it just kind of fizzled? Well, there, there was no one. I mean, basically, the person they put in charge of it right after I left was, you know, I guess more or less my assistant. But bless her heart, she was just a temp brought in to manage the sort of spreadsheet aspect of Maddie Collector, like to make sure the toys got where they were supposed to. I was doing all of the brand management and the product development and the fan outreach. She was doing the, okay, 200 units of this toy need to get to this warehouse mm-hmm. on this date. So when I left, they just sort of put, <coughs> excuse me, um, they just put her in charge of the whole thing, which was like way out of, I mean, she was there to run spreadsheets and she was a temp. She wasn't a full-time oh my employee. Gosh. And so she quit pretty quickly when she realized <laughs> that they were asking her to like do all of this work and weren't even going to make her a full-time employee oh or raise her pay. Yeah. Um, and then they shuffled Maddie Collector over to Megablocks. Um, which is actually in Canada. Mattel acquired Megablocks 
because Megablox was doing Halo toys for collectors, they're like, oh, they're you know doing toys for collectors. We could give them the whole collector line for all these other brands that they've never you know worked on. Um, and then the the gentleman who I uh, can't even remember his name because it was only like four months that he worked on it, but he was actually let go in a massive layoff, which Mattel did all the time. And just look at their stock. <laughs> and when he was let go, literally there was no, they didn't give it to anyone else. And in fact, I even heard from somebody a few months later, a friend of mine at Mattel, that they were talking about called, you know, whatever, like the next year's brands that Mattel would be tackling. And they didn't mention Maddie Collector. And so this was like, you know, an all hands meeting with like, you know, a thousand employees. And so someone said, you know, you haven't at the end any questions. And he raises his hand and says, you know, was anybody going, you, know, you haven't mentioned Maddie Collector. Who's going to be running that? And they're like, oh, you know, that's being done with Mega Blocks under, you know, John Smith. And he was like, um, John Smith was let go two months ago. <laughs> so, yeah, it was basically there was literally no one running it because it, it, it also I mean, and I, I should say this in defense of Mattel, it wasn't big enough to justify a headcount. Yeah, I it was a that. very small business, a niche of a niche, so, you know. Yeah. So they were never going like brand managers are supposed to manage like, you know, just to say for a round number, a hundred million dollars of product. I'm just throwing that out there. Mm -hmm. And so Maddie collector was not even close to that. So it didn't justify hiring someone to do it. Mm. So I did it because I was willing to do it in addition to my regular job. But once I left, you know, there was no one willing to just say, Oh yeah, I'll do twice the amount of work. Like, you know, and, uh, yeah, that's why it ended. It didn't fail. It just nobody yeah. wanted to run. Oh, it's interesting. Yeah, I never, I never knew that story because you know, I, I, I collect the GI Joe like six inch figures now, and I'm on the Hasbro Pulse website trying to get stuff, and they seem to be doing a, a something similar to Maddie Collector, kind of like a subscription type of thing where you know it's not they send you a figure every month, but it's not like you know it's just a, a way to get things that aren't found in stores. Um, but I, I think you know. I think something in Maddie Collector in 2021 would do great. I mean, even even if Mattel doesn't do it, if you know maybe Jazzwares or or somebody else does it, just because I mean we can get into it now. Uh, well, I guess we'll we'll talk about your Jacks experience first, and then we'll get into kind of the distribution problems because uh, that's the that's the main thing I want to pick your brain about. What what uh, what did you cover when you switched over to Jacks? So at Jacks, um, I was the director of the the whole boys group, um, so it was a nice promotion from Mattel. So I was, uh, th this was when uh, Big Figs were really big. That was a big part of it. Uh, they had the Star Wars license. Um, it was right before episode seven. So I came on board as we were designing the, the Jax episode seven line. We had other brands like Nintendo, um, Warcraft was in there, Halo, um, trying to think of missing anything. Um, but Big Figs was the big action figure brand because they, you know, WWE had gone to Mattel, which yeah. WWE basically made Jacks. Um, you know that that brand when they lost WWE, that was like a huge blow to the company because not only from a revenue but also just even a skew count and a presence at retail. That was like their thing. Oh, yeah, they were the ones who were Lecter, um, and yeah, and, and you know, and they one of the things they were able to do really well was case case pack management where they were able to make sure you know there were constantly fresh cases getting out there that was a big part of what they did they did really well so uh and that was jeremy padauer uh who's now at wicked cool the godfather so he, yeah yep so he was kind of my predecessor he was also my predecessor 
at Mattel. He used to be the Motu brand manager too. So oh, it's wow. kind of funny. Follow, I sort of followed one step behind him um, at multiple companies. So, uh, so yeah, so, so that's, that's basically what I was doing. I was, I'd also, I oversee, saw like the RC line. Um, there was a thing called 3D it, which was like a wax based 3D printer that didn't really work. Um, only lasted one season, but a lot of development went into it. And, uh, yeah. And so that's, so I, I had a team under me and, uh, that's what I did. Uh, awesome. I mean, that makes me, you know, probably everyone listening pretty jealous just to, and I'm sure you think about it every day that you were able to work for these, you know, as a collector, as a kid and a collector now working for these awesome, you know, toy companies. And, and I've worked for a couple sports teams. I'm a big sports fan. It probably is something similar to like when I worked for, I'm a huge Ravens fan. I worked for the Ravens in the ticket office and on a day-to-day basis, the things that you do, you know, it's just in, in, when you step back, it's like, wow, I work for a professional sports team. But when you're in it Monday through Friday, you're, you know, this is a job. This is just my job. I'm just answering emails. And, you know, did, did it ever feel like that to you that like it, you didn't like take it for granted, but it's just like, OK, yeah, this is like, you know, what I do. This is my job. I mean, I was pretty I was definitely pretty aware of how lucky I was. Yeah. Um, I was amazingly appreciative. I mean, I remember even my first week at Mattel just being so awestruck being in the building. Um. You know, and I think that's also why, you know, my enthusiasm, why I was willing to do things like Maddie Collector, because I was so into what I, that I was willing to kind of like do two jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, honestly, every single company I've had the privilege to work for, ha- I've learned so much. And there's not a single one that wasn't a positive experience. Nice. That's Even cool. like the hard things, you know, or the difficult parts, I learned so much and took so much away that. I have nothing but great things to say about every one of them. So I was I was very fortunate, and I feel blessed. Oh, good to hear. Good to hear. Uh, all right. So obviously, we're a wrestling figure podcast. Uh, our passion is, you know, our listeners. That's our passion here. It's increasingly frustrating over the last couple of years to see empty pegs in almost every Walmart and Target. I could go to five WalMarts and five Targets today, and I would see less, you know less than 10 figures in those 10 stores total you know it's and i hear this complaint from people i see pictures on social media um what what is the reason for these distribution problems because and you have videos on your on your youtube page about this it goes into really good detail but uh the major brothers brought it up if if they run out of uh vaseline in the vaseline aisle that you know they, they it's they're there the next day or next you know a couple days later to fill it up they don't have just empty when they run out of something they're just not out of something is it that they don't care about the toys is it a distribution problem between you know Mattel and or Jazzwares and these stores because I mean some some of my stores will get one case of something and that that'll be it then the next series will come out a month or two later and you know then people have to pay scalper prices and you lose people out of the hobby I mean the, the week of Christmas my stores were just there was nothing I mean there was a ton of Transformers and Halo and um, He-Man figures all over the pegs but wrestling figures were just bare empty and and I know you can't talk to that specific brand. Um, but in general, what, what is the reason for these distribution problems? Excellent question. And there are answers. Um, as you noted, yeah, I've got several videos on the Spectra Creative YouTube channel about empty pegs, which, you know, you can search for that. So, uh, it, so it's, it's kind of threefold. One, the loss of the traditional toy store is where you start. So not having your KBs, your FAOs and your Toys R Us is a big thing. Not just because those stores were able to carry more product, but without them, all of the uh, called the collector c- customers are now being funneled 
to Targets and Walmarts, essentially, where before a portion of those could get their product from a toy store. They're now 100 percent going to Target and Walmart, more or less. Or, you know, your Meyer, your Fred Meyer, mm-hmm. you know, the, I mean, your, your Walgreens, obviously there are others. So that's part of the problem is the loss of Toys R Us, which was terrible because what Bain Capital did to them is just awful. It had nothing to do with Toys R Us. They were so profitable there last year, $30 million in profit. Wow. They just got strapped with their buyer's debt, which they did on purpose to get out of their debt. But that's a YouTube video for another time. Mm-hmm. So that's the first part is you've got all these customers that used to go to toy stores that don't exist anymore. The second part is the functionality of a big box store. So Walmart and Target and other, you know, big, what are called big box stores. We used to also have Kmart. Again, like as we lose these, mm-hmm. you're funneling your customers to more, fewer and fewer doors or stores. Doors is what the industry calls them. So, um, so basically the way a big box store operates is uh, well, first off, let's look actually at the toy aisle. What is the purpose of a toy aisle in a big box store? To people like you and me, we look at it as well. It's for us. It's for the collectors, for us to go and find what we want. And we expect to be able to find the latest wave. Like we are customers. What you, you should be, you know, whether or not we're your biggest customer, at least you should have product for us to buy. Mm-hmm. Well, so toys are a very um, low velocity line overall. And action figures are the bottom of the barrel. Um, things like Lego, wheels, dolls sell way better than action figures in general. Like, honestly, and I hate to say this, but I wouldn't be surprised if the action figure aisle starts to really just shrink in general over the next few years. I hope it doesn't. Um, but looking at the sales data, I would not be shocked. So the main, so picture all the customers that are going to go into, let's say, a Walmart during the day. All right, what percentage of them are going to go to the toy aisle, just in general? Let's just say it's 10 to 20% are even going to visit the toy aisle versus how many are going to visit the toilet paper aisle mm-hmm. or, you know, the, you know, hardware or stationery or clothing. They get much higher velocity. All right, so let's just look at the, the people who actually go to the toy aisle. Let's break them down. So... Again, we think of the toy aisles like, well, we go there. I go there several times a week. But, you know, you're in, you're out, and you may also not buy anything because they don't have anything, which is, of course, a catch-22. Well, the main reason that your person is going to go to the toy aisle, there's two. One is for a shut-me-up gift. So you have a child with you in the store, (laughs) and you need them to be quiet for an hour while you shop for toilet paper and clothes and wrenches and stationery. So you will buy them a $5 toy, a Hot Wheels, a piece of some slime, a fidget toy, something usually between $1 and $5 that they can play with in the store or as a, you know, a gift to like be, this is so you'll be good. So that's reason number one that they'll visit the toy aisle. And I'm not including birthdays and Christmas because that's, you know, a one-time, once-a-year thing. The other reason that adults outside of collectors will go to the toy aisle is, and this is key, for their child's friend's birthday. So think of it this way. You have a, you said you had a five-year-old. Mm-hmm. He has, you know, say, you know, 20 friends between his class and his activities and, you know, the neighborhood and whatnot, maybe 30. So that means 20 to 30 times a year, he's invited to someone's birthday. Well, that means 20 to 30 times a year, you need to buy a birthday gift 
for your child's friend. And you're probably going to spend about $15 to $20. At least that's what the spreadsheets say. Now, as a collector, we have no problem because like, oh, yeah, I, like I tell my, my wife tells me my daughter has a birthday coming up. I'm like, well, no problem. Next time I make a toy run, I'll just, you know, pop by the Play-Doh aisle and grab something real quick. You know, what is, the, what is her friend like? But for most adults who don't go to the toy aisle, the toy aisle at Walmart and Target and big box stores are there as a convenience for the shoppers that are buying toilet paper and scented candles and, you know, screwdrivers so that while they're shopping at Target or Walmart, they can also pick up their child's friend's birthday present because it's easier than them trying to find a toy store or go online, maybe. Mm-hmm. So the purpose of the toy aisle in these big box stores, like 90% of their sales are to are for, for, for adults, parents buying toys for their child's friend. Then the other bulk, then the other like 9% is the parents buying toys for their chi- their own child's birthday, which only happens once a year. So that could be one visit or Christmas, Christmas Kwanzaa, yeah. Hanukkah, holidays, which again, fourth quarters, you know, that's a whole other, you know, thing. So collectors represent less than 1% of the people going into a toy aisle. That's why Target and Walmart have that collector section behind electronics, which also has fewer uh sales like they don't have to make as much money on that wall as much as the main aisle so that brings me to the second point so every item in a big box store is regulated and reviewed by how much money it makes by the square footage it takes up and it's all you know done with math so you know when you look at a planogram of figures hanging they they know that okay you know the ones hanging on this peg have to make this much revenue this peg, blah, 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 et cetera. So the other rule, and this again applies to every aisle in a big box store, is essentially any item sold, toilet paper, orange juice, WWE action figures, are calculated to sell one unit per week per peg. So a WWE peg of figures, let's say it holds eight, right? or six i mean you know i haven't measured lately but Mm. you know an action figure peg is going to hold between six and ten figures let's just say it's ten for rounding number all right so that means a fresh case of figures put on shelf in a regular toy aisle um with ten figures that represents ten weeks of product it should last for two and a half months or if it's eight figures two months flat well with collector toys either someone like you or me or what we call scalpers people who sell them on ebay who know the aftermarket value all it takes is one so for example a few months ago there was a marvel legends wave for deadpool that had a strong guy uh, collecting connect figure or build a figure where you know if you buy every figure in a wave you get an arm and a leg and a torso and you could build up to a bigger figure um probably familiar with you know course the concept yeah uh, so, yeah, I know WWE doesn't do that as much, but so I came in, I came to my local target one morning and they had just put out a fresh case of this Deadpool wave of Marvel legends. And I bought every single one because I wanted the build a figure. And I also wanted most of the figures in the, in the wave and the ones I didn't want, I put up with or donated to, you know, kids at the school. So that means I just, by buying eight figures, I just bought eight weeks worth Mm. of inventory 
pro target, which means they're not scheduled to get another case pack for two months. So because our buying habits, like you don't see this in any other aisle. No one walks into the screwdriver aisle or the Vaseline aisle yeah. Yeah, and buys an entire case pack at once. It doesn't happen anywhere else in the store. And for a big box store to create a inventory policy that only applies to, let's say, one aisle, the action figure aisle, and to specific pegs in that aisle is asking way too much because how are they supposed to know this peg is going to get cleared out right away, but two feet down from WWE is the Minecraft figures or the Ben 10 figures, and they don't, you know, collectors don't come in for those. Yeah. So being able to navigate those waters, you could understand as a, a toy buyer for Target or Walmart or an inventory control manager for them, how in the world are they supposed to know that wave is going to be hot, that one is not. I mean, even if you break it down to a, to a brand, like I, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, I'm not using WWE examples, but again, for Marvel Legends, sometimes the lines do really well, like that Deadpool wave. Other times where the movie doesn't do well, like the Captain Marvel movie from a year ago or two years ago, the, the that particular wave of Marvel Legends tanked. But if they treated Marvel Legends as a brand as a whole and kept enough stock in the back to always kind of constantly replenish, well, what happens when the movie bombs? Now yeah. they've got all this product in the back. That's the last thing they want. And clearance uh, it out overstock, or something. Yeah. yeah, overstock is way worse because they don't have a place to put even. And what's ironic is like you'd think that, oh, if they have all these empty pegs, they could just fill it with whatever's in the back room. And that's what independent toy stores can do, or even Toys R Us was able to do. But a big box store can't do that because if they fill empty WWE pegs with you know, extra Marvel Legends Deadpool figures that are in the back. Well, then when a WWE case pack comes in, then what do they do with it? So it's like they have to keep those pegs empty so that when the inevitable second case pack comes in eight weeks, it can go up. Because according to their computer system, that peg of eight figures from a case pack of eight is supposed to last for eight weeks. It doesn't because you or I mm -hmm. or a scalper is going to come in and buy the entire wave as soon as it hits yeah. so it throws off that whole system but they but you can see the catch 22 where they can't isolate a peg in a aisle and give it its own policy yeah no that, that does make sense and i mean we have a facebook group for our show we have about 300 people in it so i know what everybody needs so if a, if a case comes in i'm gonna buy it and sell it to them you know I'll charge you $10 shipping, here, $20 for the figure, and get it out to people just because I know they're not going to be able to find it uh, you know, in their stores maybe. Um, but there's no way for Mattel to to check the inventory system and say, okay, now this target is this target has eight. They're okay, but this one has zero. I, let's send them another case. There's no system to do that? I mean, that would have to be pretty specific to one thing, I guess, like you said. And, and, to, and a retailer is not going to share that with a manufacturer. So once the product leaves the hands of a Hasbro or a Mattel or a Jada or a Jax or a Spin Master, it's with, it's with the retailer mm -hmm. in their distribution center. So what that – so like, you know, yeah, so Mattel makes a you know, case pack of WWE you know, figures. They ship it to Target. That's it. Mattel's yeah. out. Hand, now, what, what Mattel does do, and Hasbro does this too, is they do have retail service reps that will go into stores and if they see empty peg, they'll go to the toy aisle 
They'll look to see what's empty of their product, meaning Mattel's or Hasbro's, and they'll you know note, okay, you know, I see where there's nothing there. Then they'll physically go into the back room and look to see what's there, and if there's any, they're basically just there to basically be a second stock boy or girl, if you will. Yeah. Um, li- literally just to, to help out to get product that's already there. The stock boy or girl just hasn't physically gotten to it yet because maybe they're busy stocking, you know, some, uh, you know, an aisle like toilet paper that has a much higher uh, velocity, which mm-hmm. means units per day sold. So, so yeah, they're like Mattel, there's no one at Mattel or Hasbro sitting there on a computer saying, uh, up store number 4169 in you know Minneapolis is out of WWE. Let's ship them one. Like it doesn't work like that. The product, so you know, Target will order a bulk order at the beginning of, of the quarter. It'll go to a Target distribution center. And then from that Target distribution center, they will send out, you know, let's say they order, let's say they order a thousand case packs and they have a thousand doors, thousand stores. So they'll order a thousand case packs. It'll go to the Target distribution center, and from the Target distribution center, one pack gets put on a truck with other items, obviously, mm-hmm. to every single store. So every store gets one pack of eight figures, which should last for eight weeks. And then in two months, a second delivery is scheduled to come from Mattel, and process repeats. But as you said, between collectors helping collectors, collectors buying for themselves, and scalpers. We will buy the entire case pack as soon as it pops up. And that is what throws off what is otherwise a very well-oiled machine and why toilet paper and uh, dish soap and, you know, you know, pencils are always in stock because no one is going in and buying, oh, my God, the new number twos are out and buying all the, you know, the pencils. Yeah, I mean, it, it does make sense. And, and I've always thought, you know, the people that are yelling on social media, we seem loud, but we're, you know of the of the collecting world of the small collecting world we're a smaller part of it so you're you're a niche of a niche of a niche so i mean you know if there's a hundred people yelling you know it's in the grand scheme of things it doesn't really matter obviously mattel would love to have this fixed because they'd love to sell more i'm sure if they have more to sell um is is there anything we can do as collectors because sometimes i'll go into target i'll you know target at least has the scanner thing the computer is there where i can scan i'll take the tag I'll scan it and it'll say, "Hey, this says you have two in the back, or you have two on the shelf. There's none here." And the guy will just look at me, and in his system, on his little handheld thing, he should be able to, you know, if it says there's two on the shelf, there's none there. He should be able to exit out. Maybe they were stolen. You know, I don't know what the deal is, but if if, if someone doesn't do that, I I've been told that there's just the case is not going to come. You know, unless is that not true? So, um. I mean, it's it's much more like, you know, what I said earlier, where if it's a case pack of eight, which is meant to last for eight weeks, well, in eight weeks, another case pack will show up because they are going to assume it's one unit per peg per week. Okay. So, um, yes, if they have another case in the back, and mm-hmm. I, I mean, I've had that, I've gone to Target employees and, hey, you know, I just scanned this. It says that you have a case pack. Would you mind checking? And sometimes you'll get a friendly employee who will go and do that mm-hmm. and they'll bring out the toy for you. Other times they say, no, you know, we can't do that right now. It's the middle of the day. We stock, you know, in the mornings. Um, and, yeah, sometimes it is, you know, theft or what's called shrinkage. And, you know, there are, I mean, so much, yeah, all the time that it'll say we have a case back, but, like, they can't find it or, you know, it fell off the truck or it got shelved some odd place in the back. 
Um, you know, the, the, the back room is not exactly, you know, a perfect uh, uh, library, you know, with everything where it's always supposed to be. Yeah, it's just piled, yes, piled up wherever it comes in off the truck. You know, it's like, you know. Not... Many times, yes, that's true. You know, so it's like, so asking what we could do, you know, and, and you actually had a great point when you said, like, we're louder than we are numerous. That is absolutely, the internet has been the worst tool to reinforce that because, you know, the internet gives every person on the planet a voice and also the ability to publish, um, you know, whether you're tweeting or YouTubing or commenting or Facebooking, whatever it is, everyone now has the ability to put their opinion out there. And while in theory, this is a good thing, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, communism is a good in theory, but in the real world, the problem is, so a perfect example, when I was working on the Masters of the Universe brand at Mattel, um, you know, we get same thing. We get all these posts from angry customers saying, I can't find this, you know, what's wrong with this, you know, blah, blah, blah. So one of the nice things about working at Mattel is because it's a large company, they have a lot of analytic and sort of focus group divisions that will review customer stuff. And I didn't, I didn't really ever play, you know, use that card to use them that much. But since I didn't, they were willing to help me when I did come to them. Hmm. So I said, okay, here is a He-Man website, you know, where I'm getting, you know, thousands of posts every week and a good deal of them are angry. Can you please analyze this and tell me how many unique posters there are? And, you know, how many, like these thousands of posts, how many does it represent? Oh so they did their little, you know, da, 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 fed it into their system. A week later, I get the report. And while there were literally thousands of posts every week, it was 28 people. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, yeah. So you can see how the Internet makes people louder than they are numerous. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you've got 28 people screaming every day that I can't find this. But when the toy companies do the math and see how many people, well, you can understand, it, you know, it's like a, uh, you know, a glass, right? you got a glass of liquid and the liquid represents the amount of bandwidth and energy and, you know, that employees and money that a company can put towards something. Mm -hmm. Well, do you pour this into the adult collector brand that has 28 people screaming very loudly online or do you take the same amount of bandwidth? And pour it into, say, Hot Wheels or Barbie, which are billion-dollar brands that are selling, you know, thousands of units a day, um, you know, to you know, hundreds and thousands of, of kids around the world. And again, you do the math, and you could see why. Oh yeah, makes perfect well, sense. Well, yeah. Well, we're the most passionate. We're also the least numerous. Mm -hmm. You know, which is also going back to the when you were asking about Maddie Collector, how when I left, no one was willing to step in. And part of that's because Mattel as a company wasn't willing to make Maddie Collector brand manager an official job because it doesn't generate enough money. Mm -hmm. um, you know, selling He-Man or Batman figures, you know, by subscription model once a month while it's fun and it was, you know, it made people happy and happy towards the company. It was 28 people. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you know, obviously we sold more than 28 units, but you get the point. Yep. I know it's like it's it is and that's actually you know and even going back to your original question about why I started the YouTube channel that's kind of why is because like I'm part of this group too yeah you, you know, can see the frustration online. as a collector yourself yeah completely and it's like oh my god could I just find this figure I want to complete my collection and I don't want to pay over you know, e you know eBay prices or whatever um, yes yeah, so get you know, at the end of the day it just comes to the fact that there's 
there are few we're just loud we're louder than we are numerous unfortunately and with the lack of toy stores like toys r us and kb with our reliance on big box stores big box stores need to follow a unified policy for every aisle and every peg which means again that case back of eight is supposed to last for eight weeks and if it did you would never see empty pegs mm. yeah that's uh- that's why you see them. I, w- I will say they have a, they have some really good folks over at uh, at Mattel right now. Robert Rudman and, and Steve Ozer and a, and a bunch of people that you know very you know, talk to the community or in a lot of the groups with us and go live on Instagram and post new things and, and they're aware of the the frustrations, but at least they're pretty accessible. Um, they'll answer questions. They do like Q and A sometimes. So I I will say you know the, the people in in charge are are. They're not just uh, silent, you know, just watching us uh, flail around on our backs like turtles. I mean, they're 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 aware of the problems. It's just like you said, it's not really something they can control. And and thank God, as a collector for me, that there's a website like Ringside Collectibles that that I can, you know, if I have to pay six or seven dollars, people complain about it. I mean, I get it two months before it's in the stores if it even shows up in my store. And then when it gets to my store, half the time maybe they cut the box wrong and it slices the the box open. And I keep mine, as you can see behind me, I keep mine, you know, mint on card. So uh, I, I don't want some fifteen year old kid at Walmart throwing it around and and damaging it. So I'm fine with paying a little bit extra. I think collectors are now kind of trained to that with the Hasbro Pulse thing and 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 Ringside Collectibles. I mean, without without that, I mean, I think the hobby would be uh, it wouldn't even be around. I mean, there's there's four or five six podcasts dedicated to wrestling figure collecting and people can't even find them in stores. It's, it's insane. What, what are the, you know, it's like having a, a football podcast and nobody can even watch football. You know what I mean? It's just, <laughs> I know. Yeah. If like we were, if we were sports guys or car guys or, you know, hardware, you know, dads, if you will. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Like our hobby is just, and, and, and yeah, thank goodness for ringside and, you know, the other, like the big bad toy stores and Dorkside and entertainment. Yep. Earth. Yeah. There's a ton of them. So that, yeah, yeah. And it's also interesting how, you know, in some ways, while we are willing to pay those extra like six bucks to, to ensure we get it, ensure it's mint, you know, et cetera. There's also a weird thing I've experienced and noticed that adult collectors in a lot of cases, like, won't pay that extra six bucks they would rather find it at retail like there's something weird about like i I even made a video about this called like you know odd behaviors of adult collectors because they're things i do too where you'll have a figure and you may find it in like say like a GameStop, where it's four dollars more than a target and you won't buy it in hopes that you'll find it at the target for four dollars less scott we call that the thrill of the hunt and that is and for for me for collecting I would say that's that's way more than fifty percent. I would say sixty or seventy percent of of my enjoyment of the hobby is going down the aisle and then oh man, I got here right before they they must have just put this out. You know, take a picture of it, post it, and, and grab stuff that I want. And you know, that's that's what keeps me coming back. That you know, hopefully one on that fourth Walmart, I I find something. You know, it's it's a, it's an addiction for sure. But uh, yeah, I can relate to that. I mean, I I see a figure I want right now on Amazon. Because I, I I wanted to mention Amazon because they've gotten a little bit better about stocking some wrestling figures on on their website and they obviously they have you know free shipping with Prime. I have one here that I I I'm wishy washy on, but I would like to if I'm going to buy it, I want to find it in Walmart. I don't know why. I mean, I could just click two buttons and buy it right now, but I'm not going to. So it's yeah, it's, just... it's crazy. I know. Uh, like and and sometimes like I'll buy, you'll buy a figure at retail you don't even want just because it's there. Yeah. Like, yep. 
you know, it's like, oh my God, this is a hard to find figure. I better buy this. Um, one last question. I mean, I have uh, people that post, and I have like a Walgreens. It has the same one wrestling figure. It's been there probably two or three years. It's it's just a super peg warmer yeah. that never has gone on sale or anything like that. Is there any? I mean, this doesn't happen too often in Targets and WalMarts. But is there any way to like? Is it store by store whether things go on sale? Because I mean, I see people post, you know, Marvel Legends. We had Kyle Peterson; he's a nice YouTuber that collects wrestling figures, and he he posts about all these Marvel Legends. His his store are on clearance, and and I just don't. He's out in Iowa. Maybe you know, the demand for figures is less than it is here on the East Coast. But uh, you know, just is it store by store whether they have X amount of figures? They're gonna okay. Now these are gonna go on clearance because they've been here for X amount of time. We have five of them they're going to go on clearance or is that you know, how does that work that's more of a retail question you know, know again this was something well it's something where like you know the mom and pop toy store can solve because yeah if they see a figure that's just sitting there um for a company like walgreens like they they they, they cannot they're not they they don't do sales by door by store it's a company-wide thing so if they decide they're going to do a 50% off WWE figures, it has to be a company-wide thing. And they mm-hmm. have you know, they have almost 10,000 doors. Wal- Walgreens has some of the more more doors than anyone else. Were, were you, did you say Walgreens? I did say, say Walgreens because uh, well, I said Walgreens. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So, yeah. And, and so one figure, because Walgreens has such a small section for toys, yeah, like one figure can clog that up. The one thing that is nice about Walgreens that's different from Target and Walmart is they do have a system that when something gets bought, some, then it immediately triggers a system to replace it. So one thing I can say is if you're at a Walgreens and you know, like you, you know, you've got two WWE figures that are clogging the peg that are preventing new ones from coming as, you know, sort of out of the box this might be is if you buy them, then that's going to trigger new ones to come in. Yep. So maybe the cost of buying a figure you don't want, you could give it to a child, donate it to charity, uh, you know, pull it apart and customize it. Yeah. But that I, I've I've actually done. That. I mean, even before Mattel, I remember like I bought figures to clear off pegs. Yeah, I've sense. actually done that. Yeah. So then, you know, give them away. I mean, we, people are doing toy drives during the holidays. It's a perfect time for something like that. And there's not a lot of collectors that look. I mean, there probably is, but. Not a lot of people. There's not a lot of foot traffic for toys in a Walgreens. I feel like, and there's a lot more Walgreens. So, you know, in my area, if there's three WalMarts, there's six Walgreens now. Or, or you know, just for example. So, you know, if if I can clear out that, I know that one is going to get it. I'll check back at that one, and maybe I can get there before somebody else, and and know that, that I can get something before somebody that's looking at Walmart and Target. That's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like when you do that, it's kind of like marking your territory. Yeah, yeah. This is it's my, like okay. This is my I corner. <laughs> extra figures that peg is mine now there you go uh scott thank you so much for the for the time here we have one question that we ask all of our guests uh to, to round out our interviews if you had one last meal you're on death row or something hopefully this never happens uh but uh you have one last meal you can eat and drink whatever you want what would it be um one last uh, probably like thanksgiving dinner oh wow really okay you know like turkey mashed potatoes okay. green beans uh, uh, the whole nine yards. That's, That's a good call. I love Thanksgiving. Yep. There, there's a uh, like a like a outdoor market in Baltimore that has like a place that does sandwich like just regular you know sandwiches, cold cuts, but they do like a Thanksgiving sandwich with uh, stuffing yeah. on it. Oh nice. man, 
so good. Uh, great, right. great answer. Uh, thank you, Scott. Your uh, YouTube page will be in our uh, the comments and on our our link, but it's Specter Creative and SpectreCreative dot com. We do some great stuff there. Everybody, go subscribe. Like I said. Watch the videos. I'm not just plugging this because you're on here. Uh, they're they're quick, 10, 20 minutes, and they're really interesting. And, they're, and if they're not about wrestling figures, if you step back, the you know just the the tone of them and the, the theme of them in general gives you a good info. And we are toy fans first. I mean, it's it's fun to learn about some of these other toy lines that you don't collect. So Scott, thank you for taking a Sunday morning uh, with me, and I appreciate your time, man. Oh, my pleasure. And I, I promise I will do WWE-specific videos. Oh, please so, do. I'll, I'll pimp it out hard for you. I'm definitely starting. You know, I've done – I'm branching out now, like sort of doing other brands. I did a Star Trek one recently. Um, which, so, yeah, absolutely. And uh, thank you for having me. It was a real pleasure, and I'm happy to come back anytime. And uh, it's, I, you know, I don't get to talk toys, you know, with, like my wife and daughter. So <laughs> yeah. Great, you yeah. know, I love talking toys. So this, is, this was a lot of fun for me, too. Thanks, Scott. Awesome stuff. That was Scott Nightlick from Spectre Creative. We got little, we got a little deep in the weeds there, but I think it was, I think it was good. I think, I mean, if you're listening to a wrestling figure podcast, I think everything in there was uh, really great info. Super, super smart guy. He's been in the business. Um, he content creator now, obviously on YouTube. Uh, he's a collector, so he he kind of checks all the boxes for someone that I wanted to have here on the show. Uh, so great stuff. Make sure you follow him. I, I think he is on all. Uh, Twitter and Instagram and all that kind of stuff. Spectre Creative. Um, I did want to give a shout out. I talked about it earlier. Our boys at the Run In Podcast. I've been on there several times with them. Uh, I love going on there. Uh, they're doing a huge Royal Rumble giveaway on our uh, Facebook group. It's uh, thefigcave.com to get there. Uh, they'll probably announce all the details and the winners on their show. Uh, great wrestling figure podcast. And they talk about everything. Other figures, sports, pop culture. Um, they're available wherever you get our podcast. Um, but they're giving away... Uh, I'm donating a Jerry Lawler, Jerry the King Lawler Elite 82. Our, bu- our buddy Kenny from The Call Up uh, is donating a Taz ECW figure. They got a Matt Riddle signed 8x10, a Greg Valentine signed 8x10, a Randy Orton Decade of Domination, uh, Moxley Unrivaled figure, all kinds of stuff, man. So check them out. They're doing a huge giveaway uh, for the Royal Rumble. Uh, just be sure to listen and follow them uh, at Instagram, The Run In Pod. Uh, Tom and DJ do an awesome job over there. We mentioned our buddy Kenny uh, at The Call Up on YouTube. He's doing all kinds of uh, fig hunting videos and stuff there. So, um, yeah. Um, the best way to support us is to rate and review our show on Apple Podcasts and uh, head over to thefigcave.com. It's free to join you don't have to pay money to hang out with us and uh we talk wrestling figures wrestling all day every day we do giveaways um people were out finding figures and posting them there uh all kinds of good stuff so check us out and uh also you know go back into the la- the first two, two episodes were really great with uh dion from uh from aew and our buddy kyle peterson the uh the godfather of wrestling figure collecting but um yeah, that's it for me. The Hot Take Kids signing off here, folks. Uh, thank you for listening, and uh, we'll be back next week. Another new show, another new episode of The Fig Cave. Stay classy. Stay classy.